Hello everybody, how you doing? What's going on? Hey Heather, how you doing? Hello Princess Diva Paranormal. I'm doing alright, how you doing? Give me one second, I'm getting my pop-out chat ready. Hey, Abraxas, how you doing? All right, where am I going to put this chat? <laughs> oh, we had everything. Hey, Anton. Good morning. Well, where am I going to put this? Good to hear. You know... You would think I wouldn't need all these chats open with Restream, but you never know when it stops working. We know how all that goes. How are you guys? Good morning. No Eddie today. He's working. The best conspiracy theory is when no one believes in it. Yes. No worries, Diva. Hello, Nicole. There we go. Trying to get everything set. Trying. We know how that works. Hello, Miss Danielle. How are you, honey? My baby bug. Let me get my Twitters out. What is today? Wednesday. <laughs> Oi. You've had seven cups of coffee. I'm still on my first one. <laughs> okay. Antsy. I like Antsy better. I'm doing good, honey. I'm doing good. In case anybody don't know, Delta Rune fan, that would be my daughter, my youngest daughter. My lovely Danielle. How is everybody? How are you guys doing? Nice to see you, Chris. Oh, I haven't stretched yet this morning. No Eddie today. He's working. He's working. So he's... Not here. It's not part of the cool kids, right? So I'm excited. All my alerts should work today. I went through and recalibrated everything. I took down my old OBS and installed the new one yesterday. Of course, I was work. I was um, using the split broadcaster, and it was just taking too much on my computer. So I went. Last night I got pissed and I'm just like, we're going to do this. <laughs> so 
Yeah, no, he's not putting the holes in the donuts. No, he's doing the Nabisco. We are the cool kids, Braxis. <laughs> what? Please, what, bug? I missed your message. I don't see. I don't know what you mean, Danielle. Or are you just saying please because I called my baby bug? <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. Please, we are the cool kids. That's so funny. So good morning, everybody. I know I'm a little early, but, you know, hey, what can I say? I'm excited that all my <laughs> shit's working. I'm excited. <laughs> That's right. Really? Nicole said, I got a box from the mailman. It was taped in. It took me almost 15 minutes to get it open. <laughs> and I remembered to turn on my speakers without Eddie telling me. Okay, bug. No problem. Yeah, you got school, don't you? Today is Wednesday. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw you talking to Andy. Andy's not talking to you because you, you didn't wait to open up the box. I saw that. <laughs> um, what have I been up to? Same old, same old. Same old, same old, Braxis. Nobody's over there. No, don't go full screen. Oy. So, wait for a few more people to come in. Um, I know you guys do have brilliant minds. You both did it at the same time. <laughs> but see, they're working. Yay! I'm excited. Golly. Golly, what's Andy do? Ampsy doing? Damn it! Said so, yeah. Nicole says yeah. I have lots of patience. Do not tell me to not open a box. You're surprised. That is torture, right? I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. That's right. That's not fair. They're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to do that. Nobody should be giving somebody a surprise, you know, a box or anything and say, don't open it. Except when Sienna does that to kids. <laughs> That's the only time. Right? <laughs> My da Danielle's like, no. 
<laughs> oh, MC is in the little house baking cakes, lol. <laughs> I know, that's true, Deltarune. <laughs> Mama's going to be all excited because everything's working, then it'll break on her. That's about true. All right, honey, I love you. Have a good day. Have fun. <laughs> that is true. She's right about that. She knows me. I'll be excited that everything's working and then it'll go. <laughs> See, she had, I believe she's doing the whole school thing on. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I know my kids. They're all going to open them. Yeah. They're not waiting. Maybe I should do that. No, because your dad will let you open them. I was going to say, man, send a message to your dad saying, don't let her open it. <laughs> but you'd get the mail first. Welcome back, Ansley. <laughs> It'll be on a day that dad's working and you'll get the package first. <laughs> We know how that works. My kids are sly. They know. And see, I heard you were making little cakes. All right, shall we get started? Do you, do you want to hear what's on today's show? Do you want to hear what's on? I'm in a weird mood, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just in a very weird mood. Did my chat break? No, it didn't. Hey, Scoop. Nice. That sounds yummy. Why does everybody got to talk about food? Why you got to talk about food when you come in here? <laughs> knowing, knowing that every day I wait until after I stream to eat breakfast. <laughs> no Essie today. No Essie today, Auntie. <laughs> He's working. He didn't want to come home. So he decided to do Nabisco. No. <laughs> That'd be nice. Maybe he'll surprise us. I doubt it, but you know. I could have begged up secondhand food. I just threw out for you. No, that's cool. I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> for sure. I promise. <laughs> oh, do you scoop? Well, good luck with that. I do hear the second shot is rougher than the first. Yes, they are a lovely couple, though. Essie and Andy. Ansi. Essie and Ansi. They are. <laughs> All right. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about did humans inhibited, inhibited Earth before Adam and Eve? Dun, dun, dun. Wait. That went well with the ice cream. And then we're going to dive into who are the Pleiadians. 
So I'm in a weird mood, I'm telling you. <laughs> then we're going to talk about the strange case of the Loveland Frog, Ohio's amphibian cryptid. And then Wild Men of the Ancient World. And then we're going to talk about astronomer, astronomer, astro, astronomer. My, my mouth isn't already working. Astronomer, oh my God, Ivy Lube has spoken out by why he thinks intelligent aliens may not be visiting Earth. As always, if you were listening over on the podcast, thank you so much for listening to us over there. And as always, we invite you to jump on in over here on the live show and jump in the conversation with us. As always, remember, as I'm doing the credits... Jump over to DLive and get your lemons as I open up the chest. <laughs> and so that's what's on today's show. That's what's on today's show. Which one? The the moon cookies? That one? Or the gong? Thank you for the ice cream, Heather. Nicole, thank you for the ice cream. I, I didn't say thank you, but that went well, well the, with the air raid. Oh, yeah, when it happens, Missy, don't curse Nicole and I too hard. What happens? Oh. When what happens? I couldn't, I'm confused. Right? Well, Adam and Eve had two kids, Cain and Abel, both male. So either they existed or we being told pork pies in the Bible. Pork, we're being told pork pies. I'm telling you, I, we're getting not even started and my mouth is like, now. Yeah, and don't, they don't want you to take pain meds after shot. Ugh. That's not cool. What happens? All will be revealed in time, Missy. This is not good. Now I'm kind of scared. I don't know what's planned. What are you guys planning? I'm scared. Pray for me, everybody. <laughs> Pray for me. So you want me to put an air raid on for the moon cookies? And people aren't going to know what to, they're going to do. Hello, 15 Rain 11. How are you? Is that rain from YouTube on DLive or is this a different rain? Scared, so you should be not just planned, but done. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Do I get a hint? I'm very scared now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I didn't want to call you Rain and, ha you know what I mean, if it wasn't you from YouTube. <laughs> well, welcome. All right, cool. Cool. Well, thanks for coming over on D-Live. She's like, I want some of them lemons. <laughs> How are you today? See, I tried to, like, with, with the two Patricks, I tried to, 
when there's two people that have the same name, I try to give them kind of a somebody a nickname. Nickname. Air raid sound when Andy's in the Ancy's in the room. Yes. When Andy walks in, we'll be like, we're in trouble. <laughs> oh no. No, see if hey blue, how you doing, hon? If it's what I think what I'm pestering Eddie for. What am I pestering Eddie for? <laughs> Listen, I've been in this it, it, oh my god, I pester Eddie about a lot of things. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> yes, or Cass. <laughs> oh my god, I'm scared. I'm so scared. How are you, Blue? <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, there's my buddy Patrick. How are you, Patrick? Good morning. Well, good afternoon. <laughs> Has that made the curious, I think, curiosity worse and pretty messy? Damn, didn't think that might happen. Yeah, you freaking know. <laughs> you know. Oh, you people. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. So, pre-Adamites. Did humans inhabit Earth before Adam and Eve? Let's go ahead and get started. So, this is the timeline of human existence. Of course, all, all articles will be down in the description. If you want to take the time out to read them and everything. The timeline of human existence has captured the attention of philosophers, scientists, and ordinary curious people throughout the ages. Of course, there have been famous tale of Adam and Eve, but were they the truly the first humans to walk on Earth? There is a growing body of research that suggests modern humans were not the first intelligent beings to live on the Earth. <laughs> I read that and my eyes got bad. I'm like, what? I can promise it doesn't have too many legs on it. It, Yeah, it better not have too many legs on it. I swear to God. <laughs> so they're asking, did pre-Adamites exist? There are groups from all belief systems, Christians, conspiracy theorists, alien researchers, evolutions, uh, evolutionists, and more, who believe Pre-Adamites, human or intelligent beings that walked the earth before Adam actually existed. The idea of the possibility of pre-Adamite civilization and discussion about the origin of the human race is not a new one. Debates on the topic have been taking place since 170 AD. Over the years, many theories swir swirled around it, enticing logical and romantic thinkers alike to explore further look deeper, and question what they have been taught. Hello, my buddy Patrick. I'm glad you're here, honey. The Christian debate, the Christian debate, 
A growing number of Christians and people of other faiths believe modern-day humans were not first, and possibly not the last. The Bible has clear passages about events that have taken place and that will take place at some point, stating human existence operates on a 7,000-year cycle. Based on scripture now, the earth is the only is a little over 6,000 years old. However, a great deal of scientific evidence indicates it much, much older. And he says, it does seem odd to me that the human race is supposedly the most advanced race of beings on earth, but it's only it's the only one which cannot live in harmony with it. Yes, I believe yeah, I agree. I agree. So the Bible does not specifically state Adam was the first man to ever walk the earth. There are too many gaps in the information contained in the chapter to get a clear picture. Consider the account of Noah and the Great Flood. All humans were wiped out except Noah and his family. It's quite possible a new Adam and Eve were born out of the catastrophe, starting the cycle anew. Therefore, it's not entirely irrational to have doubts over whether or not Adam and Eve were, purely, were truly the first humans on Earth. In the book of Genesis, we read, Earth was without form and void, as it had experienced a great catastrophe. We know from scripture that water already covered the Earth, and scientists are now finding under great bodies of water of the world, evidence of an entire civilizations. Their findings raise more questions than answers. How do we mesh science with scripture? Is it even possible? Right, Andy. Yeah, every culture, you're right. That's true. Every culture around the earth has a great flood myth or myths. Many events documented in the biblical text seem to support by science. Can these two seemingly oppositional systems coexist and come together to give us a more complete picture of where we came from? Consider that the original biblical text have been translated repeatedly. The version we use today has only been around since the 1600s, and the Catholic Church uses a head a heavy hand in changing the sculpture, the sculpture, the scripture, and the structure of the book's, book itself. If you stop and think about it, perhaps we've lost something all in the edits and translations. Maybe we don't have the whole story, which a lot of us think that we don't have the whole story. You know, um, we know that books were kept out and books were put in. And keep in mind, there's nothing new under the sun. Hey, Patricia, how you doing, hon? Welcome, welcome. The scientific debate. Did I miss anybody else? I don't want to. If I missed you, I'm so sorry. It's hard without chaos here, reading chat. <laughs> but I know my peeps in chat will let me know. <laughs> the scientific debate. Traditionally, science and religion are opposed, and religion calling for faith and science calling for fact. However, scientific findings in recent years seem to be closing that gap. 
scientists present evidence that dinosaurs once roamed Earth. Christians open their Bibles to the book of Job to read about what appears to be dinosaurs coexisting with humans. More recently found civilizations and objects defy all scientific and biblical teaching. Throughout the world, ancient cities are being discovered, not on mountaintops or in forests, but under the ocean. This includes Port Royal, Jamaica, Lion City of Quindale Lake, China, Nero's Sunken City, Cleopatra's Palace in Alexandria, Egypt, and Thoris Harkleen in Egypt, Sunken City of Cuba, Dwarka, India, and Yuangi Monument in Japan. Since was to any authority give the whole story about anything. That's very true, Andy. Very true. What are these ancient underworld underwater cities? Are they evidence of pre-Adamite civilizations? Many of them have elaborate structures and display a level of technology scientists say was not possible at the time they would have been in use. Could carbon dating and other methods scientists use to date materials really be off by that far? That's just not a decade or two, but a multi-billion year error. Scientists believe they have definitive evidence, or at least very close, to support their timelines. Some scientists believe that they have found evidence of the inhibitants of some of these civilizations. A flash-frozen civilization in Antarctica is of particular interest. These skeletons look vaguely human except for elongated skulls. Who were they? What are they? Scientists speculate an ancient race that has long since died out. Conspiracy theorists, on the other hand, believe that there are, they are an alien race that come here to escape their dying planet. They set up a civilization and seeded the earth. That is what we humans are. Everyone has a story, a theory, a note of what took place. The truth is there are very strange things on this planet that cannot be explained by our current understanding of history, science, technology, and culture. What do we do? We press on. We continue to explore. We keep our minds open and keep searching out for the truth. Regardless of our belief systems, nothing can be learned by blindly walking through life, ignoring what does not fit in our history books or what we each of us believe. Skeptics must acknowledge that these ancient civilizations are real and they are left here for a reason. Why weren't they destroyed? It, it is part of the elaborate puzzle, a higher test to separate wheat from the chaff. Hold on, let me get some of the comments here in chat. Um, 
Nicole says, all land was connected to each other at one point. So Andy says, many so-called men of science reject it because it gives validation the likes of Noah's flood. Skooks and Pangea, yeah. Patrick says, some of these old cities have construction methods that we can't do today. That is very true. Andy, depending on the depth they are at, they can date back to the last ice age. The isolands of the islands of Indonesia were part of Ganduna Island, a now submerged continent size of land. Um, it's rolled up on me. A continent size area of land now sea. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay, regardless of that, as for scientists, are they doing all they can? Is science truly utilizing all available resources to explore these civilizations and in search for clues that would change the way we view society in the world? The fact that these structures and entire cities were left behind and buried only for us to find them so many years later suggests intent. When you are deciding what to believe, the greatest tool that can be sharpened and utilized is your crucial thinking. Pretty freaking cool. Pretty freaking cool. I wish they'd show them. Um, honestly, I wish they'd uh, show like pictures of all these. And I'm sure if I dig deeper, they, you know. So while we're already talking about that, we're going to explore some um, Native, I'm going to add on this, explore the mystery of Native American creation myths. So ideas and theories about the beginning of the world run the gamut with different cultures, groups, and religions offering creation stories or myths, explanations of how different parts of the world came to be. The Apache have several myths about creation. They involve both gods and animals. In one myth, Teapu and Quasicult, um, yeah, these names, think everything into being. Essentially, their thoughts become reality. So they think everything from the mountains to the trees and the sky to the reality. However, when they discovered these creations couldn't praise them, they made others out of clay and wood. When these beings caused havoc in the world, the gods sent a, got, the gods sent a great flood to wipe them out and start over. Another of the Apache myths describes the beginnings as the awakenings of sort, the dark turning into light through the actions of a small bearded man, the one who lives above. They said by rubbing his face and hands, he created the sun god, Big Dipper, wind and lightning rumbler, to name a few. After the gods united through a handshake, the creator directed them to pull a brown, a brown ball that had dropped from his hands in the directions to form the earth. And with the hummingbird's guidance, placed four cardinal points on the earth to make it still. I also believe that some beings we call aliens. Whoops. Um... Oh no. We call aliens maybe human and escape a disaster on Earth millions of years ago. Yeah. Definitely, Patrick. 
I love when you guys get chatting and you're talking in chat. The Hopis. While the Hopi have multiple legends, perhaps one of the most intriguing involves the ant people, who are credited with saving the Hopi not once, but twice. The so-called first world was destroyed by fire, via an ejection from the sun, volcanic eruption, or asteroid strike, and the second world was destroyed by ice, perhaps glaciers or the pole shift. In both instances, Hopi legends say the tribe was guided during the day by the odd-shaped cloud and during the night by a moving star. These guides led them to a sky god named Satukana, who took them in the, to the ant people. Sorry, I butcher words and I don't mean to. It was the aforementioned subterranean caves that the Hopi found refuge during the global um, during the global, the global catastrophes occurring above. In this legend, the ant people are seen as generous and hardworking, giving the Hopi food and teaching them about food storage when they need it at most. Interestingly, the Babylonian sky god named Anu also Hopi is also the Hopi word for ant. Naki is the Hopi root word for friends. So the Hopi, Anu, Naki, or ant friends, may have some correlation with the Sumerian Anaki. (laughs) Thank you, Heather. (laughs) You guys, you guys understand. I just, you know... (laughs) Uh, thank you for the limons. See, I'm so excited. All the alerts are working. Thank you, Nicole, for the limons. That I can... Nanu, nanu. <laughs> Just what? <laughs> the Sioux, such sacred caves, also known, also a theme the Sioux legends regarding a location in the Wind Cave National Park. In this legend, the Sioux featured a cave that had wind blowing in it and out of it. They believed a breathing giant lived inside, and the giant invoked the providence of the Great Spirit. However, one curious medicine man is said to have seen a vision from a young Indian maiden telling him she was the immortal buffalo lady from under the earth. She told the medicine man to tell the others the cave was a sacred place and people should come and drop offerings and tokens, which would gain them great herds of buffalo. It's funny that they, I don't know why that made me think of uh, the, my first um, guide that I ever saw. I remember like we we're me and my friend Robin were called one of those 900 psychic people and she was getting a reading of what her guide looked like right and I was on the other phone even though it was against policy for me to be on the other I was on the other phone listening and doing the same exercises they that they told her to do right and uh so 
I remember seeing an old Indian chief. Well, I don't know if he was a chief, but he was definitely an elder. Um, in my vision, Robin saw something else in her vision. But I remember the next day standing in the kitchen and, you know, the lady on the phone told her, you know, always talk to them, talk to them. They're listening, you know. And I remember the first time it happened, I was standing in the kitchen. It was early morning. Nobody else was up. I, I had, um, well, I had Taylor at that time. I don't know if I had Ryan. I don't think so. Um, no. So it was before she got up, before my ex-husband got up. And I'm in the kitchen having my coffee. And I said, are you with me? And I remember hearing always my child in my head. And I was like, whoa. And I can picture him even to this day what he looks like. I don't know why that made me think of that story, but that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Lakota. The Lakota version of events started with adultery. In their version of events, Tommy, the spider trickster, came, caused a rift between the sun god and his wife, the moon. Their, separate, their separation created time. While previously the gods had lived in heaven, Inkatami, excuse me, and his co-conspirators were exiled to live with the cultural humans who inhabited earth. Upon arrival, Inkatami travels underground to meet with, human, with humanity. Let's try that again. Upon arrival, Nkotami travels underground to meet where humanity lived and convinces Toki I to come to the surface. He emerged from the wind cave to find a beautiful place, so he convinces others family, other families to come up. Tohoki soon figures out he was duped. As buffalo are scarce, the weather had turned bad, and they, cannot, and they find themselves starving. To make matters worse, he and his other families, he and the other families who settled there, cannot return to their home underground and must must out of existence on the surface of the earth. Hi, Chimplet. How are you? Welcome, welcome. I don't know where. Let me scroll up here. Oh, thank you so much for the follow. I appreciate that. Welcome. I hope you enjoy your stay. How you doing? There's a series of caves carved in the mountains in China. And they don't know what age, the age of our government machinery, but they don't know how. There's a lot of things like that, though, Patrick, definitely. Or who carved them, yeah. I just, <laughs> you're funny, Andy. Jeez, Missy, less beans with your dinner next time. <laughs> you're hilarious. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool to hear all these different um, 
legends of how the earth began. The last one is Cherokee. Finally, the Cherokee also have several myths that explain the beginnings of the earth. In one myth, the great island floated in the ocean attached to four thick ropes from the sky, which was rock. Because everything was dark, the animals could not see. The great spirit told the animals to stay awake for seven days and nights, but most of them couldn't. However, the plants that stayed However, the plants that stayed awake were able to stay green all year, and the animals that were... Thank you for the ice cream. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, the plants that stayed awake were able to stay green all year, and the animals that were able to stay awake, such as the owl and mountain lion, could also go about in the dark. Another story describes everything being water and the animals living above it. Thank you for the lemon. And the sky being overcrowded. So one day a water beetle named Dianes, Dianese volunteered to explore underwater and found mud he brought back to the surface. He brought it back, he brought back so much mud that he created the earth. As the earth hardened, they pulled a sun out from behind the rainbow and placed it in the high placed it high in the sky to light the path. In both these legends, the animals come first and the humans second. So without a doubt, the stories and legends behind the beginning of the world vary, vary greatly depending on the Native American tribe attached to them. However, many of the similarities and links among the stories bring about the question and curiosities of what might lie inside the earth and how it affected the creation of the world as we know it today. So pretty cool. Look at many of the Egyptian and antiquities that the <laughs> claim were made from stone or bronze tools. Same in South America, but modern man can't even replicate. That's very true, Andy. That's very true. I think, oh, I love the little lemon guy. He is cute. <laughs> he is cute. I love it. Um, Legends and myths have to compare them all. Lots in common, too. Yes. That's the thing, too. There's bits and pieces that intertwine, you know, and may it to me, and, and this just could be me with the stories that combine, you know, um, it's interesting because it makes me even more curious, you know what I mean, to know even more legends of how the earth became about. And it's just really cool. I love seeing different aspects of things, you know. All right, on to our next story. I know, he is new. Yeah, that little lemon guy is so cute. He's so cute. <laughs> So our next story is all about who are the Pleiadians. It depends who you ask. Some Subaru owners would say they are. Subaru is the Japanese word for Pleiades. And the company logo, an oval with six four-point stars, represents the Pleiades star cluster. I never knew that.
I never, I never even put two and two together with that. Really. <laughs> Did you guys ever? Of course, I don't look at Subarus either. Well, they believe that, and they think the Sphinx was underwater. Or that. <laughs> oh, what the fart? What the fart? So, anyway, um, the word also means un united because the Subaru Corporation was formed by the merger of five companies. Author Barbara Markinit, I'm going to. The link will be down in the description. Um, she, anyway, she wrote the book, Bringers of Dawn, Teaching from the Pleiadians, is an internationally known trance channeler who speaks with a group referring to themselves as the Pleiadians. Self-defined as a collective of multidimensional spirits. Thank you for the ice cream, Patrick. Thank you for the ice creams. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, collective of multidimensional spirit beings from Pleiades star system. The group's mission is to assist humanity with the process of spiritual transformation. UFO researcher um, Michael Sella, PhD, believes that the off-world off -world beings from the Pleiades star cluster are distant cousins to humans. Sela reported that the Pleiadians are motivated to connect to humanity out of concern for Earth's future. Cherokee legends teach that Native Americans. Did I? Yeah, okay. Cherokee legends teach that Native Americans originated long ago in Pleiades and asserts the indigenous people on the earth as star seeds with a mission of bringing light and knowledge. The Navajo called Pleiadians star cluster of the sparkling suns, and the Iroquois petitioned the constellation for happiness. The Lakota Dakota people. Say their ancestors are from Pleiades. I'm going to have to go back and look at Seneca people and see. I, I mean, I really wasn't raised um, in the native part of me. I wasn't, you know, but it, I'm curious now how they believe the earth started. I imagine since we're around a lot of Iroquois, that's what you hear about in New York anyway, is mainly Seneca and the Iroquois. Um, it's got me curious on now how what Seneca Indians believed. According to the Complete Guide to Aliens, the Pleiadians have a distinctive Nordic or Scandinavia appearance. 700 lifespans, and while they are, in evolutionary terms, still a work in progress, they are far more emotionally and spiritually de developed than Earth humans. Also known, or also called, one of the reasons people have little or no interest in the stars these days is because they can barely see the things due to light pollution. Yes, it's very true, Andy. Like in New York, I mean, we saw stars and everything, but it was very light polluted. Up here, though, I many times I go out at night, you know, to have my last cigarette or whatnot, 
and just stare up at the stars because there's so many of them. They're so bright. And even though we have lights around, I have a hood that comes out like here. So it blocks off the light. And I just absolutely love staring at the stars. I still have yet to do it. I want to take my full full spectrum cam and put it out and see if I can see anything. But um, I, actually, I absolutely love it up here. In the in this time, in this uh, what am I looking for? My God, I'm not. Apparently, I'm not. My head's not awake yet. Um, in this time frame, usually when you're going right into like spring, when everything's melting and that, where it's still a little chilly at night, the stars are freaking beautiful. <laughs> Ancient man had little else to look at during night hours and knew way more than modern man credits. Um, yes, very true. In Belgium, Nicole says, in Belgium, it's hard to look at the stars, too much lights on the streets and stuff. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, Patrick, the tall white ones. Yes. He said he has, he has seen them. I really can't talk today. <laughs> First time I took my boat out, Andy says, first time I took my boat about 15 miles out to sea and night fish, and I saw at least a million stars to every one I, I can at home. Unbelievably. Yeah. Very true. And that's it, Chimplet. Yeah. Seneca, because I'm part Seneca, and uh, being from Western New York, um, it's, I've researched Seneca, you know, theories and stuff before, and you're right, it's very hard to find, and it's not like, because I'm in Alaska now, so I'm around a lot of natives up here in different types of natives, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, like, they're so forthcoming with their origin stories and stuff like that, it's really cool to listen to. And back home, it wasn't like that. You couldn't walk up to somebody and say, hey, what's your origin story? Do you know what I mean? Being from New York, you know. <laughs> but it's interesting. I, I would love to know that. But, yes, even talking about, like, um, I almost said Jameson Winston. My, mom, my mind went to football. Uh, Mary Jameson, who was actually, like, the reverse Pocahontas. Um, even her, hey, Freaky Geek. Um, even her story through the Seneca is very hard to, unless you live at Letchworth State Park or go to Letchworth State Park, you really don't know her story. So it's really, you're right. You're exactly right. Seneca is very hard to find. Hello there. Wow. I got notification for tomorrow's live, but not this one. Really freaky geek. <laughs> Well, you're really early for tomorrow's show. <laughs> I'm from Eastern PA originally, and we fully absorb in the land. Their lore is mainly forgotten. It's it's sad. It really is, especially when moving up here, and and seeing how proud the natives are up here by their own, you know. Um, Yes, Native Alaskans have a historic connection with some of the Hawaiian Islands. When asked how 
they made it there. The scientists were told, follow the hummingbird. This was then. That's interesting. Yeah, I did hear about Tiger Woods, Freaky Geek. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, well, that's why I think a lot of, it's funny you say that, Andy, because living up here, I've noticed a lot of Hawaiian people come up here to work and then go back home in the wintertime. Doesn't she do great work, Freaky Geek? I love that, what Nicole posted. Yeah, if anybody wants to grind, if you're on Facebook and join the group, um, Nicole's writing writings uh, about different things are very are freaking phenomenal. Dumas, is there are no migratory hummingbirds from Alaska to Hawaii? They found out years later the hummingbird is the Pleiades star cluster in the sky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one thing that I can see up here is the star cluster from the Pleiadians or the Pleiades. Very cool. I will check her out. Send that to me, Andy, because Eddie has my notebook. Not at work, but just on the side of the room. <laughs> but yeah, Nicole does some great job. She does a great job of writing in the group. I'm so excited to have her do that for us. Okay, so the Pleiades, facts and myths. Also called the Seven Sisters, the Pleiades are a group of stars in the Taurus constellation. Astronomers refer to the group as M45. The I was going to say something, but never mind. Um, the designation comes from the work of the 18th century French astronomer Charles Messier, who identified in categories cataloged astronomical, yeah, freaky, today is like a Friday, I can't talk, what the hell, um, catalog astronomical objects at a distance of 444.2 light years, the closest star cluster to Earth, the Pleiades are used to plot distance using a method called the cosmic distant, distance ladder. The cluster's brightest star and I know I'm going to get these wrong, and it has this, you know, six, the seven sisters, and I'm going to get those wrong too. So take care, Chimplet. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for some, or not something, but following over on DLive. <laughs> I hope you have a great day. Take care and be safe out there. Um, so this cluster's brightest star is Alcyon, judged to be seven times brighter than our sun. There are actually more than a thousand stars within the cluster and other, under optimal conditions, around 14 stars may be seen with the naked eye. Most, when looking at the cluster without magnification, see six stars, but there are seven in the lot. 
and the lost seventh star is in common is a common theme in multiple mythologies, including Indonesia, African, Australian, European, and Native American. The Pleiades and the ancient Greek cosmo cosmology. The Pleiades, there are seven daughters of the pre-Olympian Titan Atlas and Pleione, a nymph. According to the myth, the Pleiades named Maya, Electra, Essione, Taget, Selino, Merope, and Esterope were dedicated to Artemis, the Greek goddess of moon and hunt. Orion the hunter had placed in, in the sky along with the scorpion that killed him. Sorry. Orion the hunter had been placed in the sky along with the scorpion that killed him by Zeus prior to his death. Orion, prior to his death, Orion saw the seven sisters and set off to capture them. Zeus, in pity for their plight, turned them into stars and placed them into the heavens. Artemis was furious with Zeus and the mortal Orion. She convinced Zeus to send a monstrous scorpion to attack Orion. The hunter died from the stings. After his death, Zeus placed Orion in the sky to, um, in eternal pursuit of the sisters and perpetual flight from the scorpion or Scorpio constellation. The cluster was also used by the ancient Mediterraneans to signal the beginning and end of sailing season, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. The clusters appear in Homer's Odyssey and Liliad, referenced as a signal of the beginning of planting season in May. Hesiod, another Greek epic poet, referenced the Pleiades in a poem, Theogony. Western Hermeticism, Historic Symbolism, and the Pleiades. Hermeticism is an historic system based on writings attributed to the Hermes trans... Yeah. Includes in an historic symbolism of constellation and planets. Hermes may have been from Greece or e Egypt, but has been referred to... Thank you, Nicole, for the moon. Um, Hermes may have been from Greece or Egypt, but has been re referred to as the son of the Nile. He is also believed to be the father of Western astrology and alchemy. His writings were rumored to have first appeared in 2nd century AD Rome, and he's always been associated with the Greek god Hermes as well as the Egyptian Thoth. Which, I was going to say that, but they brought that up. Hermes is, is always um, thought, only in different traditions. According to Hermes' traditions, the seven stars open seekers to a more refined level of consciousness. Viewed as a school of learning, only those who have been purified of energetic, energetic blocks to the subtle body. Invitation to and initiation to the Pleiadian wisdom teachings comes spontaneously during sleep or deep meditation. The Pleiades were also viewed as our solar system source of electrical energy from the little sister Electra. I like that movie, A Wrong Electra.
and I've told you guys many times, um, how I met Pleiadians, the Pleiadians, and which I didn't know until years later, many years later, that that's what they were. I just remembered the blue people <laughs> until a conspiracy theory led me to the pictures of the Pleiadians. And then I was basically like, what the hell? Who, who knew my image of astral travel? So the Pleiades in Norse, Celtic, and Bronze Age mythology, the Nebra disc, found in 1999 by treasure hunter in the Saxony Inet region of Germany, portrays the star cluster with the moon and sun, dated to about 1600 BCE. Researchers believe it may have been a portable astronomical instrument. And I'll show you the picture of this, the Nebra sky disk. Now that I'm so excited that everything works, <laughs> I can actually show you guys the picture. Maybe. No. Share screen. Share that screen. So that's this Nebra Sky disc. Beautiful. Yes, Missy, I've seen them as well in Germany in 19. That's pretty cool, Patrick. That is very cool. But yeah, I think that that is so pretty. I would so carry that around. I believe one of the Nazca picture lines is also a hummingbird. Yes, it is. So this was found in 1999. And in the Bronze Age Europe, the autumn solstice and the winter equinox are associated with grief and mourning. At the solstice, the Pleiades would rise in the east as the sunset in the west, thus the association with mourning and passing of summer as well as harvest season. To Scandinavian or Viking cultures, the Pleiades were thought, thought of as Freya's chicks, Freya being the Norse goddess of love, beauty, and fertility. For protection, some would point, paint seven spots representing the seven stars on hen houses. Ladybugs were associated with the cluster because of the seven spots on their wings. The Pleiades and the Asian culture. The first astronomical mention of the star cluster was the Chinese annuals of roughly 2350 BC and was re referred to as the blossom stars or the flower stars. Interesting. The sprawling... Exiling mausoleum in is the tomb complex of the Hongwu Emperor, founder of the and again, sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these of the Ming Dynasty. Located and I know that because there's a thing down in the lobby that has the whole timeline of the different. It's really cool. Um, even though my 
bosses are Korean. It's really cool. They have the whole dynasties lined up. It's freaking neat. I study that thing for hours. Um, anyway, located near Nanjing, eastern China, when viewed from the air, the tomb complex echoes the arrangement of the visible pleading stars. And according to the author, Wayne Herschel, the geoformation is a star map called the Treasure Mound. And the tomb is said to hold great cosmic secrets beyond gold treasure. Yes, you're right, Andy. Summer and winter solstice being of massive importance to aviament the world over makes me wonder what has been either forgotten or ignored by scientists as they claim to know better. That is true. That is true. I mean, if you go back and you look at all the different um, ancient philosophies and especially around what the solstice means, what's the moon. That's why one of one of the series that I wanted to do, you know, when we were, I was talking about the moons and that, of what they were back in the day, why they were called what they were called. And it's freaking cool. I used to watch Dynasty. Well, my mom did. We were more of a Dallas family, but we watched Dynasty in hotel. <laughs> but anyway, in Japan, Subaru and the Pleiades is more than a name of an auto manufacturer. It relates to the culture value of harmonious grouping. In the modern parlance, teamwork, a characteristic of samurai and shogun societies. According to myth, the Japanese sun goddess quarreled with her brother, the embodiment of the power of nature. Oh, he was the embodiment power of nature. Intimidated, she hid in a cave. The world went dark, and to entice her back out, her jewels were hung from a sacred tree nearby. Eventually, she left the cave and returned to the sky so the earth would once again be nourished by her light. Her jewels were associated with the Subaru, or Pleiades Cluster. The story is the allegory. Just as the sun becomes low in the sky in the winter, the Subaru jewels can be seen in a reminder that the sun will return in the spring. <laughs> Hindu mythology holds the seven sis sisters called the Kiritika were married to the Rishish, the seven sages that made up the states, the stars of the Great Dipper, all lived together happily in the northern sky. Then one day, Agni, the god of father, father the god of fire, saw that Kiritika, and he fell in love. He knew he belonged to the Rishis and the despondent. He wandered to the forest trying to forget them. But the little god, goddess Savai, embodied by the star Zeta Reticuli, saw Agnet and was smitten. She disguised herself as Kritika and offered herself to him. He believed he had won the Rishis' wife. Sabaha became pregnant, and when her child was born, a rumor spread that six of the Rishis' wives were somehow the baby's mother. When the seven Rishi heard this, they divorced their wives, but one, Aranda Hate, the star Elkor, refused to leave her husband. The other six wives became the stars of the Pleiades. 
In Vedic astrology, the degrees of 26 Aries in 10 Taurus are ruled by the Karitika, or the Pleiades. One born under the influence of the sister is said to be fiery, warlike, and adventurous. Under an aggressive exterior, the natives have deeply have a deeply nurturing quality and have great capacities to support others. Native American pleaded, well, we already heard about them. Oh, maybe not. Okay, Native American Pleiades myths. A Cherokee myth tells the stories of seven boys who played a game with rolling stones and stick called Get You See All Day. They neglected their chores, such as weeding the gardens. Their mothers nagged them without success. One day they gave the boys boiled Gerichi stones for dinner instead of corn. Angry, the boys began to dance and pray for help from spirits. Eventually, their mothers searched and found them dancing, but with every circle the boys danced, they lifted higher and higher off the ground. The mothers ran to retrieve their sons, but it was too late. The boys were now out of reach. According to the article in Indian Country Today, the Iroquois, Delaware, Carrier, Inuit, Hadi, Salisha, Paiute, Wyatt, Sasha, Louisiana, Kamish, Zuni, Cheyenne, and Blackfoot have all labeled the Shining Collection Pleading Cluster. The article also notes that slightly elusive quality of the cluster, rather than looking directly at the grouping, the constellation is much clearer when viewed with peripheral vision. Huh, I love to try that. That's interesting. I've never, I mean, I've always looked at them straight up, never with a peripheral vision, but I'll have to try, I'll have to try that. That's pretty neat. Um, citing a myth from the California Sierra and Peyote tribes, the author shares the story of grizzly sisters and deer sisters. One day, grizzly mother ate the deer mother. Deer sisters retaliated by trapping, trapping grizzly sisters in a cave. The Midwest Dakota believe that the cluster is the Tyomi, Tyomi, abode of the ancestors. And when we die, we go to live in the Pleiades. Wow. One famous story is how seven maidens were being hunted by a bear. The girls prayed to the gods who responded by raising the ground under their feet high into the air. The anger bear clawed at the earth, leaving claw marks, but finally gave up and left. The maidens were turned into stars and placed in the sky for eternal safekeeping. And the spot where they stood is now Wyoming's Devil's Tower, complete with a huge vertical striation through the bear, thought to be the bear claws. That's interesting. That is very interesting. Shut up, Andy. <laughs> this is a small sample of Pleiadian mess and symbolism. This result, tiny star cluster has taken on 
proportionally huge significance in almost every ancient tradition and cosmology. Perhaps we instinctively assign great significance to the Pleiades because we have a place for them in our collective consciousness. For now, we don't know why, but perhaps we will find out as consciousness evolves. I think that is pretty cool. I, I would love to go visit that now. Seriously. Yeah, shut up, Auntie. <laughs> I would love to go to Wyoming and visit that. Excuse me, Devil Claws Park. That's pretty freaking wild. Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. Yeah, I thought so. So moving on to a cryptid portion. Ooh. Oh, Nicole, you didn't let him watch you open them. Oh, Andy, you're going to make her feel bad. Now stop that. So, on to our cryptid portion, the strange case of the Lublin frog, Ohio's amphibian cryptid. Can you imagine? I'm sorry, but this that would freak me out, okay? If I was walking along and I saw a frog person. Sorry. Oh, Andy, you had a visit. She couldn't disturb you. Well, that's just mean, Andy. I mean, you have to ex you have to know that. <laughs> Waiting a month to open her birthday card. I know. Oh, well, there you go, Nicole. Never mind, Andy. Besides, I was hungry. There was a wee of my favorite Belgian chocolates in that box. Well, that's understandable, Nicole. I would in knowing that, hell yeah, open that box. <laughs> See, I'm getting in the middle like you guys do with me and Ussie. <laughs> okay, so growing up in Cincinnati, my family often took trips to Loveland, Ohio to appreciate the natural scenery, the bike trails, and the ripping rivers and lakes. Little did I realize the same roads we drove on allegedly had the haunting grounds of the Loveland Frog. A mysterious humanoid amphibian said to lurk around the city. <laughs> well, once you mess into the chocolates, I, yeah, I was on your side. Hurry back, freaky. <laughs> the Loveland Frog is probably one of the lesser-known cryptids. Everyone knows of its close neighbor, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And there's a constant high-tech searches for the Loch Ness Monster. An alleged Bigfoot sighting have occurred all over the world. The Loveland frog, though, remains elusive. You could ask any cryptozoologist about it and forget naming the frogman. 
they might not know where to find Loveland on the map. That's not nice, Andy. That is so mean. It is. It is, Heather. That is so mean. Next time I'll send Nicole a box of chocolates, I'll send her the box filled with empty wrappers and a note saying how delicious they tasted. <laughs> that is so mean. But the Loveland frog has a history just as alluring as the Mothman's, as mysterious as the Chupacabra. Its origin story is one of Ohio's hidden gems. As history tells, one night in May of 1955, a traveling salesman drove through Loveland, Ohio, part of the greater Cincinnati region. He was alone on the road when he crossed a poorly lit bridge over the Little Miami River. Three humanoid yet frog-like creatures loomed in the shadows at the side of the road. The salesman watched as three frog people talked amongst themselves, each oblivious to the observer. The salesman noted that they all seemed to be about three and a half feet tall with leatherly, leatherly, leathery skin and webbed hands and feet. They had bulging eyes, wide mouths, and deep grooves in the sides instead of hair. Suddenly, one of the figures noticed the salesman. They pulled out a wand and waved it, sending a spray of sparks flying into the air. The man sped away, the first witness to the Loveland Frog with the particular smell of alfalfa and almonds trailing behind his car. Hey, nubs! How you doing? Sounds like your sister, Andy. <laughs> the, the salesman's name has been forgotten, but the sighting of the two officers in 1972 revived the tale. Can you imagine it? I wonder if that's where all the little, like, frog fingerings with feet... You know what I'm talking about? Not like, you know, like, Hello, my baby, you know, um, that cartoon. But um, I remember seeing as a kid, like, little frog with feet standing up. Like, they had little hats on and everything. Like, you know, like um, 1950s garb. Had the hat and then they dressed well, you know. Listen, if I sound like that, <laughs> well, hey, you know, Andy, I, I don't say it. I can't say that I blame her. <laughs> Hurry back, Andy. A tale without a tale. It was March 3rd, 1972. The bracing winds of winter not yet turned over the spring sunshine. At 1 a.m., Loveland Police Officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory and the Little Miami River when a creature dashed in front of his car, its eyes glowing in Shockey's headlights. Before it skittered away, and it says skittered, not scattered, Shockey saw it was similar to the creature in a traveling salesman's story, about three to four feet tall with distinctively frog-like features. The frogman took advantage of Shockey's bewilderment and scrambled into the roadside, hopped the guardrail, and escaped into the river. The only trace left behind was a few scratch marks on the guardrail's metal side. 
Two weeks later on St. Patrick's Day, Mark Matthews, Officer Mark Matthews, drove around the same boat, boot factory. Something crouched in the middle of Kemper Road. Thinking the lump was roadkill, Matthews exited his car to clear it from the road. The lump jumped at Matthews. It dashed to the guardrail and scrambled underneath, keeping eye contact with Matthews the whole time. Matthews drew his revolver and took a shot. The creature stopped moving. Matthews recovered the body and put it in his trunk to show Officer Shockey. He identified the animal as a large iguana, about two, three to three and a half feet long. Difficult to identify because it was missing a tail. He figured somebody had abandoned their pet when it got too large to care for, and the cold-blooded iguana was keeping warm from the pipes leading away from the boot factory's ovens. <laughs> the Loveland Frog, a local celebrity. With the discovery of the iguana, the whole mystery seemed to be solved, except Matthew's story only explained the 1972 sighting. What about the three frogmen spotted in 1955? Yeah, no iguanas are going to sit there and be talking to each other just do 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 and not notice that they're being watched. Um... Skeptics point out that the creature from the Black Lagoon came out in 1954, so Americans had amphibious lake monsters on the brain at the time. Well, I'm sorry, the creature from the Black Lagoon is definitely not three frog-like creatures. <laughs> Just my opinion. Um, but the creature from the Black Lagoon notably doesn't have a magic sparkling wine, and he's much larger stature than the three-and-a-half-foot-tall frog people chatting along the Miami, little Miami River. In other words, many believe that they still, they, there are still questions left unanswered when it comes to the Loveland frog. Hello, Amanda. How are you, hon? Welcome, welcome. Many believe that there are still questions left unanswered. The cryptid certainly continues to spark Cincinnatians' culture, imaginations. Cryptid hunters, check out Loveland, can wear their very own I Saw the Loveland Frog t-shirt. A video game developer called Glorious Train Rocks made a spiritual successor to the classic arcade game Frogger, where instead of helping a pixelated frog cross the road, you guide a frogman through traffic safely. <laughs> That's messed up. Yeah, exactly, Freaky Geek. He said if the creature from the Black Lagoon had a weird uh, wand, or Black Lagoon had a wand, I'd never seen it. Me either. Me either. Cryptid Hunter is checking out. Oh, I already read that. My bad. Um, most notably, though, the Loblin Frog is famous for being the only cryptid with its own musical. Ohio writers and actors Joshua Steele and Mike Hall wrote the bluegrass musical Hot Damn. It's the Loveland Frog, which debuted in May 29, 2014 in the Cincinnati Fringe Festival. It, in the show, Luke Honeywell and his girlfriend Darla set off with a bluegrass band to find Luke's missing grandfather, supposedly snatched by the frogman himself. The couple runs from moonshiners, learns about the frogman's legend from shadow puppets, and are interrupted from time to time by fake commercials from a local taxidermist. 
That's not even nice, Andy, to bring that up. You know, you're getting a little frolicky without Essie here. <laughs> so it may end up needing to go to the Mickey D's drive-thru and get a few banana milkshakes to drink in front of Nicole. But yet he, you know, is going to say that in front of me. <laughs> so, um, the Frogman's unique Cincinnati flair inspired Hall, a longtime Loveland resident and audience, to share the love. The show ran for five performances, and it was all sold out. The Cryptid Ohio Deserves. Why do Cincinnatians show such devotion to the Loveland Frog? Perhaps it's because it's something unique. It's uniquely theirs. An imaginative story to explain why their home city is so special. If you're not from Ohio, you probably dismissed it as a flyover state. For many people, Ohio seems monstrous. The Loblin Frog adds a little drama to the landscape. The Loblin Frog is also um, the watersheds and wetlands that make up many of the Ohioans' backyard. Ohio does have some some sort of most abundant plant biodiversity in the United States, containing 32,950 acres of national parks. With this much wildlife, it makes sense that the lonely, tired salesman driving at night might spot a frogman or two trekking the riverfront among the coyotes, opossums, and hellbenders. The hell are hellbenders? I don't know what the hell hellbenders are. That's a good question. I wonder if they noticed the mosquitoes were less in the area where frogmen were seen. That's a good question. Do you guys remember those frogs with the dressed up? I don't know. Maybe I'm just going back to the cartoon. I don't know. <laughs> I've been to Akron, Ohio. Oh, what the I mean, I've been to Cincinnati and I've been to Cleveland, Ohio, but um, Akron was, I was there mostly in Akron because my aunt lived there. What the fart? Oh, what the fart? What the fart? Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> um, so uh, the legend continues, though. A recent sighting confirms that even if it isn't Frogman, there's definitely something in the water. In August 2016, the summer, Pokemon Go swept the nation. Sam Jacobs was catching Pokemon with his girlfriend on Loveland's Madeira Road. As they crossed the train tracks to the banks of Lake Isabella, they saw a huge frog staring at them. Jacobs reports the frog then stood on its hind, leg and dis hind legs and disappeared beneath the surface. Jacob took photos, and the photos of the frog, which circulated in various Cincinnati news sites, in his photos, two glowing eyes atop a shadowy figure stare at the viewer. Okay, let me share this, and then we'll play this video. Uh, share screen.
Okay. Oh, shit. All right, hold on a minute. Let me pull this up. Why is it like that? Okay. Oh, you can just see its eyes. All right, hold on. Let me share it real quick. Oh, crap. Come on, work with me. All right, ready? I can't see Chad. See, that's its eyes. Oh, it does move. You can't. It sucks. I can see the, the, um. Let me get back to you seeing everything. Did I miss somebody come in? Hello, Zane. I know I didn't know what hellbenders were either. Who did I miss? Who did I miss? Missy got a call today saying I can pick up my new car next Friday. The computer, GPS, and music is managed by the MIB3 system. Going to get my memory wiped every time it goes off. That's, yeah, exactly. Seems to me someone in a Halloween costume. Thank you for subscribing, Wolf here. Thank you for subscribing, Nick Ramirez. Thank you for subscribing, Santana. Zane. I believe those are either in Trovo or I think Twitch. Thank you guys so much for subscribing. I appreciate it. Yeah, every time. Okay, Amanda. Am I getting raided over there? Hold on, guys. <laughs> What's going on? Thank you guys for subscribing. I appreciate it. That's not what I was looking for. Why did it go there? Hold on a minute, guys. Sorry. Considering. I don't know. I don't know, guys. I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm so confused. That's all right. 
Yeah, Trevor, um, it'll pop up usually, but now it's, I don't know what happened, but my chat's gone in Trovo, so I have no clue what's going on. It's not Trevo, though. Yeah. There we go. It could be, I don't know. Well, thank you all for subscribing anyway. <laughs> Take care, Scooks. Be safe. All right. So anyway, looking looking at that, it's hard to tell. Like underneath, I don't know if you guys saw it. You could see the water moving. So it's down by the river, obviously. Um, but I couldn't tell how big it was because of being in dark. So I don't know. I don't know. So what do you guys think? Do you think it was an actual cryptid that the guy saw back in 19, what was it, 55? Or do you think it was, um, hello, honest man. Well, right now, I, I wish... There we go. I'm here. Can you guys see me okay? Nope, not the Wi-Fi. We good? All right. Awesome. Okay. It was trying to connect and I looked down and I'm like, I still have the Wi-Fi bar, so it's not the Wi-Fi. That could be, Andy. That could be. Awesome, awesome. Yay! But no, back in 1955, I mean, the guy saw three of them talk like chit-chatting to each other. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Do you think he really, or he was just tired, as they say? Why would we need to try and connect when it was working? It got, somehow it got booted off, Freaky. Somehow I got booted off. It's rude like that. I don't know. 
No, he wasn't drunk. He was just supposedly tired. Talking about sports? <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, you guys are too funny. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty wild. I would definitely like to, I mean, I would definitely like to check it out. Yeah, Andy, me and you think alike on that. I He said, I believe in cryptids, never seen them, but do you believe a lot of people are just jumping on the bandwagon over them? I mean, I believe if somebody's seen something, Weird. I definitely believed our story. Um, you know, I personally have not. I felt the energies, though, different energies. Like, kind of like I'll be out smoking a cigarette, and all of a sudden, like, this just different energy comes around, and I'm just like, kind of like that night that I, I swear to God, there was like little. Um, I don't even know what you call them. Like the ones that are said to, um, is it Mongolia? The little, uh, warrior people. I swear to God, there were, they were aligned around the tree and there was some sort of energy that it freaked me out. I went inside because of it. Oh, the way I look at it, though, is one legend or story came from truth somewhere. Whether it be exaggerated greatly, I don't know. But I do believe that there's some truth in the legends somewhere. Something free. Like I say about cryptids, exactly what I say. You know, at one time, the platypus was put on the cryptid list. Because nobody believed that somebody saw, no, not Smurfs, <laughs> that the platypus, nobody believed that the platypus existed. <laughs> Are you talking about Mighty Mouse, Nicole? <laughs> or Mighty, I've never heard of Mighty Smurf. <laughs> That's true, Patrick. Patrick says some missing could be advanced beings that evolved around something true in every legend, myth, fairy tales. Exactly. Oh, I totally, that was, I mean, some missing could be advanced beings that evolved from Earth's past and some could be alien in nature. Nicole said to me, there is always something true in every legend, myth, and fairy tale. What's the marsupial marsupial dog thing from New Zealand allegedly shows up every now and then. Are you talking about the um, crap? Uh, didn't we just do a story about that? I know what you're talking about. Made a fairy tale myself once in school. Lots of usage of magic numbers, words and description. Numbers, magic numbers. Or were you just saying nubs is magical? <laughs> but I know what you're talking about, Andy. Didn't we just?
us talk about that story like last week? Because it showed up? I don't know. Maybe I was just reading about it. I don't know. It does new. So on to the next, since we got a half hour left. Others like Bigfoot could be some creatures that are ancient humans that are still here. I don't know, Andy. I just, I thought somebody mentioned nubs <laughs> being magical. I'm sure Mulan thinks that nubs is magical. Yeah. He's a tiger stripe on half of the back. I know. God. I see his picture all the time. Maybe, wait a minute. Matter of fact, maybe it might be in here. No. I see the picture of him all the time in the cage. No, he's not on here. Damn it. Oh, the Bigfoot law, is that the, that's the law that's going into effect? I know that they're going Bigfoot hunting. They're having a season of hunting Bigfoot. I know about that. I've talked about that on the show. Yes, the cycling. Thank you. Yes. I can't say it right, but yeah, Tasmanian. You know what? I was going to say Tasmanian devil, even though that's it's a Tasmanian tiger. I was going to say the Tasmanian devil, but I knew that wasn't it. Yeah, that guy. Thank you, Andy. I wouldn't want to make myself go offline now that I ever see this is what happens. I think everything's working and... What if this laws for the furry people to hunt? Yeah, I know, right? When, yeah, see, Taz stuck in your head too. Yeah, I was just like, I couldn't, I knew it wasn't that. Um, yeah, back in the day. No, you didn't miss much, hon. Huh? Um, welcome back, by the way. Back in the day, when Tasmanian Devil was all around the news, everybody had the nickname Taz. I just remember that. But, all right, moving on, guys. Wild men of ancient world. Legends across the globe tell of a humanoid beast. But are they aware? Are they true? Are they real? We know that others evolved on Earth. Alongside us in over thousands of years have gotten more intelligent and stay away from us now. Well, Yeah. So man-like beasts appear in myths and legends of cultures around the globe. The best-known wild man phenomenon of today is, of course, the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot in North America. But there are other legends, such as the Yeti, the abominable snowman, 
said to live in the wilds of the Himalayan mountains. There are many lesser-known wild human cryptids, the orange pen or the orange pendic, which is said to live in the remote forests of the islands of Sumatra and western Indonesia. Almas in the Mongolia folklore, the Butima monkey man, or the Yerenman monkey, I can't even say these, which is a legend of Chinese-related Bigfoot. The legend of Bigfoot, another wild man, seems like a modern concept. The con controversial and hotly debated Patterson film reportedly shows, when we've all seen that before, footage of a live Bigfoot taken in Orleans, California in the autumn of 67. The widespread attention of the film received brought concept of Bigfoot into the public domain and modern pop culture with movies and TV such as Harry and the Hendersons inspired by the Harry humanoid caught on tape. I do love Harry and the Hendersons. But the legends of the wild men are not just a global phenomenon. They are ancient ones. Many of these myths have prevailed for hundreds of years being passed on from generation to generation as people swear to see evidence of humanoids themselves. The wild man in Quito in ancient Mesopotamia, the earliest surviving mention of the wild man is the Enkido. Enki's creation is the Epic of Gilgamesh written more than 4,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. <laughs> And Guido is a central figure in this epic, in which he described as an uncivilized savage who was raised by animals and lived with herds and game in the wild. He is the embodiment of the natural world and the opposite of the cultured and eloquent hero Gilgamesh. Unlike many other wild men in legends, Enkido is able to be tamed. He's taught with ways of civilized world by a prostitute. Jamhat, after spending seven days enjoying her company, which he resulted in the animals rejecting him when they sensed her human scent on him. He becomes a loyal companion to Gilgamesh, and his tragic death deeply affects the culture hero, inspiring him to seek out immortality so he does not suffer the same fate. The fact of a wild man plays such an important role in the tale of the ancient as the up epic of Gilgamesh shows how inspiring the idea has always been to us. Hey, Terry, how you doing? Ancient European wild men, both Greek and Roman myths, are filled with sexuality ferocious wild men. The satire and fawn are both wild men associated with fertility. You know, every time I say Gilgamesh, freaky geek, I think of Gargamel. Gargamel from Smurfs. So you guys had to bring up Smurfs. Welcome back, or welcome to the show, Terry. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, thanks. Talking about your ex again, Patrick. That's true. We know that others evolved in Earth alongside us in over a thousand years have gotten more intelligent and stay away from us now. I mean, totally, totally agree with that. I mean, why would I want to? I wouldn't want to talk to us either. 
That's why I hang out with spirits. <laughs> so both Greek and Roman, uh, I already read that part. Both the Greek god Pan and the Roman equivalent Faunus are um, depictions of the wild man figure. And both are gods of nature and the wild, but also fertility. The Romans also described a Celtic figure called Doisius, and I'm probably butchering that. Um, they compared the pagan god to their god Faunus and the Greek god Pan, but yet careful to emphasize, emphasize the savage nature of Doisius. D. I'm going to call him D. To differentiate. Uh, Wow. Wow. Today's really bad. Sorry, guys. Um, to differentiate, oh, I can't even say it, between him and their own wild man. D is not just a fertility god. He is described as an impregnating both animals and women, either by surprise or by force. Historians believe that these figures are all rooted in ancient legends from Neolithic creatures across modern day in Europe and Russia. Friday is not far away. That is true. <laughs> they point to the Slavic creature known as the Leshy, which is described as a short humanoid forest guardian with a large bushy beard and tall. The Lechi is rumored to capture children and trailers if they do not respect his forest. See, I can understand where Bigfoot came from that because that's the way I feel about Bigfoot. He's there to protect the forest and the woods and nature. Very cool, Terry. I don't, I don't know what I was even going to try to say there. Very cool, Terry. I'm not Wiccan or Pagan, but I am a witch. Then she has the weekend to unknit her tongue. Yes, exactly. Some bad words for Mitty today. That's right. <laughs> um, although some people have linked the Lycian creatures, like the satyr to Lycian, is not associated with fertility and is closer to our modern Bigfoot legends than the Greco-Roman concept of the wild man. There are many other examples of wild men in Eastern European and Russian mythology dating back many hundreds of years. And these range from velvet, belligerent yeah, figures who are protectors of the forest and mountains to sinister and demonic wild men who inflict harm on anyone who discovers them. The Ural, the Ural region of Russia has a legend of the divine Lydie who are beautiful wild people with the ability to tell the future, while the Kostroma Oblast region believe in the Chort, a hideous, grotesque-looking wild man with thin tail and cloven hooves who, inherently, who is inherently evil in nature and considered to be a minion of Satan by Christians to the region. In folktales, the Chort often reserves, or often tries to trick people into selling their soul for trivial things. Um. Oh, Terry with Restreambot. That's so. It's um somebody on a different platform saying hi to you or whatnot. It's, it's it'll say Restreambot and then it'll say their name. But if you're on a phone, usually you can't see it. I create my own language too. You guys have heard many times. <laughs> 
So early medieval beliefs of the wild man. The legend of the wild man remained a part of Europe culture and sources from the 9th and 10th centuries. One Spanish source, which describes the penance given for a certain behavior, mentions the minor penalty faced by those who dressed up as a wild man and took part in a dance, which is a resurgence of the earlier pagan practice. Around the same time in the 9th century, Irish folktale folklore describe how a pagan king is driven mad when he attacks a Catholic bishop, eventually transforming him into a beast who roams the woods. Pretty wild. Man has allegedly been around for 2 million years, said it's only been the last 2,000 years. Satan came into being, lol. I know, right? Hey, Carol! How are you, hon? Welcome, welcome. How you doing? So the Kongnungs, I'm going to put this in chat because I'm not even going to try to say that word. And I'm going to butcher it. So we'll put that in chat. So that thing (laughs) is an educational Norwegian text from the 13th century. And it describes a creature very similar to the other descriptions of wild men. Again, if you want to read up on this, all all the links will be down in the description. Oh, you can see the name? Okay. Somebody, I know somebody was having problems seeing the name that came after Reach. Restrap, right? Restrap, yeah, restring bot. Jesus. Oh my goodness, Carol. Carol just found out that my oldest is having twins and my middle daughter had twins in September. Oh my goodness. Very cool. Congratulations. Wow. That's awesome. That's so cool. That is so cool. (laughs) Yay! Yes! (laughs) Thank you for the ice cream, Nicole. So this education Norwegian text from the 13th century describes a creature very similar to the other descriptions of the wild man. The text says that the strange creature was like a human. You're the best around. Thank you, Nicole. You are the best. You guys are all the best. Yes, a lot of diapers to buy. (laughs) Definitely. Um, the text says the strange creature was like a human, but with a great deal of coarse hair. It says the creature was captured in the woods of Ireland and then no one could tell if it understood human speech or not. Oh, that's Spanish. Okay. Um, these accounts of the wild men from earlier. (laughs) Thank you, Heather, for the moon cookies. Um, these account of wild men from earlier medieval period are once again the wild man was firmly rooted in folklore and many roles he played were depicted in artwork 
throughout the later medieval period across Europe. The images all show a human with thick pelt or hair, and the figure appears to embroidery, carvings, paintings, statues, stained glass, illuminated manuscripts, and even more obscure objects, such as a bread mold. I mean, they really... Welcome back, Freaky Geek. They really... Um, thought of him of something. I mean, to have a bread mold? Welcome, Quet, Freaky Geek. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, I mean, they really thought of him. To have all those features after him back in the day, that's pretty cool. I never knew that. I never knew he was revered in that way back in the day. Back in the day, like I lived back then or something. Back in the day. Um, <laughs> the medieval wild man was described as a source, such as Sir Gawain in the Green Knight, as a hairy beast-like person, and the woodwuss, just like the Inkidu of the Epic of Gilgamesh, this wild man can be tamed by the right person, usually a pure and virtuous young woman. Yes, Freaky Geek. The mold, like the shape of the bread or the fungus mold. I don't know which one yet. Give me time and I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, the medieval European concept of wild man drew on earliest, earlier sources, including the Roman fawn, but the woodwuss was also based on accounts written by ancient historians who documented creatures which were believed to be wild men. One such source for legends like the Woodwuss is the Greek explorer Henu, who traveled to the western coast of Europe in the 5th century BC. Henu described an island filled with hairy savages, predominantly, predominantly female, known as the locals as gorilla, now known to be gorillas. And another source of the historian Pliny the Elder, who described another race of savage human-like creatures in India, now known to be gibbons. The accounts, but what would, were they really talking about those? I wonder. The accounts of these creatures were passed down time, over time and contributed to myths and legends of wild men living free in the forest. Now... Well, welcome back, Terry. Um, it's buffering over on DLive. Oh, YouTube is buffering. Who's buffering? <laughs> Who's buffering? But I mean, so could it be that we made Bigfoot into existence? What do you guys think? Oh, D-Live was buffering. Okay. Not that I want anybody to buffer. Both there and D-Live? What the heck? Corsi. Of course, because now that I got it working, all my alerts working and everything... 
you know, they got to mess things up. Clarkson. Oh, shut course. up, you. Because now that oh. I got it working. Really? Hold on one second. Because we know what time it is. There we go. Okay, now I can turn the back up. I been buffering, Mitty. Got some funny pics of you frozen. That's so not cool, Andy. Not cool at all. <laughs> the hell, Andy. I'm going to tell Essie on you. He'll probably go along with you. I think so, Andy. Andy asks, is it possible to manifest such things as cryptids? I think you can. I think you can manifest anything, whether it be spirits or cryptids or even aliens. I think that's why we, a lot more people are, either one of two things is happening with aliens and UFOs in the sky. We're either, they're coming out of hiding more and more, or we're manifesting more and more. No worries, Mitty. We'll tell Nancy's pictures as well then. All right. Thank you, Nicole. We're going to have to find a name for Nicole, though. Oh, <laughs> Amanda, thank you. All right. Did I give you the headache? Amanda, I hope I didn't give you the headache. Was that a backyard, you know, back backwards compliment? Oh my God, I love waking up to you live streaming. Be right back. Got to take some medicine for this headache. You know, <laughs> we are the men in black. We are the men in black. <laughs> well, look at all the tall thin men called Slenderman. He's not real, and people manifested that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, freaky geek. We can. We can manifest anything. I'm lucky when it buffers, I can still hear you through the phone where Nicole's on D-Live. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. All right, guys, it's that time. I'm putting in 200 lemons in the chest. So if you're over on D-Live and hopefully it's going to work. Did it not work? What happened? That's weird. I put the 200 in. Oh, maybe if I scrolled around down the chat, well, I could see it. Let me go ahead and roll the credits. I love you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me. Is it showing my credits? I don't even know if it's showing my credits. Okay, it is. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, guys. I appreciate it. It's showing 200. Yeah, I had to scroll down. I saw that. <laughs> Tomorrow is Thursday, and I forgot what we were talking about on Thursday. Um... We are talking self-forgiveness and letting go of the past you. That's what we're talking about tomorrow on Thursday's show. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming in. I love you guys so much. You guys make my day every day. You really do. I can't say that enough. 
you are simply the best. You really are. I appreciate everybody. Thank you again so much for coming in. Let me go ahead and pop that chest. I almost forgot to distribute the rewards. The 30 seconds to the chest opening. I hope you all have a wonderful Wednesday. Hope you come back and uh, check us out tomorrow or in other days. I hope you had a fun time and I had a good time chatting back and forth. Oh, gotcha, Amanda. She said I get migraines every time the weather changes. Oh. Thank you so much for that. Oh, you guys are awesome. I love you guys. You guys are so cool. Okay, the chest open. Nicole got 89.0. Lamont's Heather got 51.5. Freaky Geek got 37.5. And Amanda got 30.0. Patrick, why didn't you get any? <laughs> I love you guys so much. I really do. Thank you so much, Heather, for the Lamont's. I appreciate that. You guys are the best. You are simply the best. Take care. Be safe. And we will see you tomorrow, guys. I love you. See you tomorrow.